0: Good morning, like almost uh, all of you um, this week uh, I was um, stunned uh, by the passing of Kobe Bryant. I mean, it's weird, we live in this celebrity culture where you feel like you know people that you don't. Um, And it got me thinking about some things that I wanted to just kind of share with you that actually ties in with what we're talking about when we're talking about community. See, I was reminded again this week that uh, we're just given just a handful of years on earth. As I'm about to turn 50, I remember in my 20s and 30s how I thought I was gonna live forever. But James reminds us that we're like a mist that appears for like five seconds. And then we're gone. And what we do with our time with those five-second lives, what we do with our time, those few years, that depends on us, and we can choose to spend those few years we have on earth on ourselves, which will lead to emptiness and despair, or you and I can use it for others, which I think leads to fullness and joy. It also got me thinking about the fact that many of us, and I know I say this off a new community, many of us at our church, um, we want to be successful. And the, the question that I have in moments like this is maybe we get so busy climbing the ladder of success that sometimes we fail to ask the question whether the ladder that we're climbing is maybe leaning against the wrong wall. Maybe we get so busy climbing this thing called success that we never fail to ask this question. I say this to you all the time. Maybe the greatest fear in our lives shouldn't be that we would fail at something, but that we would succeed at something, what? That really doesn't matter at the end of the day. See, I've never met anybody who doesn't want to be successful, but I've also found that most people that I meet, when I ask them, what's your definition of success? They have no idea. So here's the question. If you have no idea of what success looks like for you, how will you know when you get it? It's like Jesus asking someone, remember, what do you want me to do for you? And if you have no idea what it is that you desire, how will you know when you get it or achieve it? Maybe you might achieve your goals only to realize that maybe they shouldn't have been your goals in the first place. I say all that to say this, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. In my mind, I've always tried, tried to think of these three things to sort of anchor me in terms of like, I want my life to count. Maybe this is how I want to define success. And I thought I'd share them with you for two reasons. Number one, to get you to think right here today, do you have any idea what your success, what goals in life are? And this isn't about, you know, strategy, like what would cause you to say, my life matters. These are the things that I live for. These are the things that really matter. Here's the first one. Um, I try to say, Peter, do your best with what you have where you are. Do your best, Peter, with what you have where you are. See, success for me is not circumstantial. See, most of us focus so much on what we're doing and where we're going, but I've realized over and over again, God's primary concern is who I'm becoming in the process. It's really not about doing God's will, it really isn't. We talk about doing, it's really not about doing God's will. God's primary concern is who are you becoming? And it's not about being in the right place at the right time. It's about being the right person, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. And for some of us that are saying, God, change my circumstances, maybe the circumstances are the very things that God is using to change us. Success has nothing to do with how gifted you are or how resourced you are. Success, I think, has everything to do with glorifying God in whatever circumstance we find in and making the most of it. So let me ask you. Are you sitting here going, what is God's will? What is God's will? And failing to ask, who am I becoming in the process? Secondly is... This is me. Peter, help people find their God-given kingdom assignment. You know this. I say this all the time. This is my obsession. I get up in the morning for this. I go to bed thinking about this. I have this conviction, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Every single one of you has kingdom assignments, and my passion is to help you find it. Come on here. Come on. That's what I live for. It's to know that God has his mark on you with the kingdom assignment. There are people with your name on it. There are things with your name on it. And you are created to find that and do that. Third, I want people to know who know me best to respect me the most. Do you know how long I've lived my life defining success in terms of how many people I pastor? That's what led me to burnout. But in my latter years, maybe I'm just becoming more mature. I'm telling myself that being a man of integrity, where people who know me best, respect me the most, that's all that matters. I could care less about fame or fortune. Sounds corny, but I wanna be famous in my home. That is my greatest fortune. What are you living for? How are you defining success and what matters? Money? Your career? How many letters you have at the end of your name? Your bank account? We're talking about discipleship. I said disciple is someone who follows Jesus, invites others to follow Jesus, someone who follows Jesus in community. Do you know that the New Testament is is written to groups of people? Did you know that 70% of the commands of the New Testament are in the plural? They're not talking to you individual. They're talking to you all. There are over 100 one another Commands in the New Testament that describe what the Christian life looks like—over 100 of them—and the question I have for you is: How do you want another without another? How do you even begin to live out 70% of what Jesus and the New Testament writers said about what the Christian life looks like without a uh, another? This is why discipleship is a communal task. Transformation is a communal task. And Jesus invites us, as we follow him, to do it in community. And last week, we saw briefly a glimpse of the first church in the book of Acts, Acts 2. We saw that community is discovered, not created. Community is created, not discovered. Community gives life, and community is needed. Now... What I wanna do as we continue this journey, you guys, is for the next week or two, is I wanna still lay kind of a foundation, maybe 30,000 for perspective, of what community, Christian community is, and then we begin to drill down. We're gonna talk about forgiveness at one point. Because that is critical in following Jesus in community. We're gonna talk about reconciliation, okay? We're going to talk about radical generosity. But before we drill down those things, I want us to begin by continuing to lay foundation. And so what I want to do is I want to take you back to Genesis. I want to take a quick look at Genesis, the beginning of all things. The biggest questions in life are found in the book of Genesis. And I want to look at Genesis and realize some powerful truths that anchor us even when we talk about community, okay, the interesting thing about genesis and we're going to look at it, is the creation account when we look at it when god creates the sun the moon the stars god creates vegetation animals god creates all of these things he creates them, and he says and he said and he said and he said and then all of a sudden when god comes to creating humanity his prize creation the grammar changes he goes from he said to what let us When God creates human beings, you and me in Christ's creation, all of a sudden the grammar changes, the pronoun changes, and all of a sudden God refers to himself in his pluralness. He says, What? We. What are the implications of that? Mind blowing. We're going we're gonna to do a deep dive theologically this morning. Are you, are you with me? Are you with me? Put on your thinking hats. Today isn't one of those sort of emotional, you know, today's going to be one. I need you to think. Say think. Think. I need you to think. Think, okay? Put on your thinking hats. Theological deep dive. Here we go. All right. Genesis chapter one. gonna look at a number of passages, open your Bibles, God's word, have it open. By the way, I don't know why, this just came to me. Hey, 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 guys, don't, 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 complain about how God doesn't speak to you when you never open your Bibles. Amen. Come on. Come on, say it again. Don't ever complain about how God doesn't speak to you when you never open your Bibles. That's all I'm going to say. All right, Genesis 1. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What we see from Genesis, and again, I'm going to be quick about this, okay? So you need to think. When God, when it comes to creating humanity, when God comes to creating humanity, he refers himself in the plural. Let us make in our image, in our likeness. Implications. Here we go. The Christian faith says something that's powerful and profound about the very nature of God. This is in some ways what separates Christianity from other religions of the world. What does Christianity say? It says that there is one God, but he eternally exists three distinct persons. There is one God, not three different gods, there is one God, but he eternally exists as three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're not three different gods, they're one God, three different persons. The doctrine emerges over time so that when Jesus is giving us this commission to make disciples, he refers to the triune nature of God. In Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, surely I'm with you always. So we ground ourselves in this massive theological truth and that is this, God is a community of one. God in his nature is a community of one. The doctrine of Trinity gives us a God who in his nature is a community. So central to understanding Christianity is a God in his inherent nature is a community. From eternity, God has existed as three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's never been a time where God wasn't a community. A community of love, delight, joy. God is a community, which means that fundamental to understand, not just Christianity, but all of life is this truth. Authentic, vulnerable, transparent community is fundamental to life. It's what life is all about. Now, there are implications of that we're going to drill into, okay? But let me, let me just stop here and just, just again, here's the theological deep dive right here. When you think of the creation account, God creating, what do you think of? Here's what I thought of for years. I thought of an old man in a white beard walking into a dark room and going, let there be light. There was light. Let there be moon. Let there be. See, that's what I thought. Anybody else? Stop lying to me. You know you all thought that. <laughs> I thought that. Going, that's... But do you, know, do you know that creation is the result of a divine dance? Come again. I'm going to break it down, Cece. Creation was the result, not of an old man walking dog, but of a divine dance of the community of God. And also, this is something you and I have been created and called to partake in this divine dance. Oh, man. You go, where, are you, where were you getting that from? There is another creation account in the Bible. It's not just Genesis. And it's found in Proverbs. Proverbs? Yeah, Proverbs. Proverbs 8, check this out. Theological deep dive. We're going in. We're going in. Verse 27, I was there. Huh? Author of Proverbs refers to this person as wisdom or the word. And the author of Proverbs is saying he was there when God the father created so i was there wisdom the word was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon the face of the deep when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountain of the deep when he gave the sea its boundary and when he marked out the foundations of the earth i was constantly at his side huh wisdom or the word is there when the father is creating are you tracking with me so far Now, who is this wisdom or the word? You know, because John, the apostle, comes around in the book of John, and he says what? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, check this out, creation was a community event. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working together. Now, now, what was the nature of this community like? Well, John, a few verses later, tells us. Verse 18, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the bosom of the Father. bosom, bosom, bosom is an ancient metaphor for intimacy. When you think of bosom, you think of mother nursing her child. You think of bosom, you think husband and wife. You think lovers and a passionate Embrace. You think bosom, and it's my kids running up to them. Dad, they could jump into my what? Bosom. What is this true nature of God like? The son is in the what? Oh, of oh, the father. Intimacy. The most intimate, interchange possible. Depth, love. Not only is there intimacy in the triune God, there is also dancing. Now I'm not a dancer, so I'm not even gonna illustrate for you what this was like. I'm just gonna let scripture, if I dance, I will literally cause you to stumble. And the Bible says something about causing you not to stumble. But let 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 me show you, let me show you what the nature of the Trinity is like. This is just mind blowing. See, see, check this out. Back to Proverbs. Back to Proverbs. Listen to what he said. Proverbs eight thirty. He says, "I was there created. He says, "I was filled verse thirty with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world." And there's that word delighting in mankind. Hebrew scholars will tell you that the word delight is a word that literally means to what dance, to frolic, to play. So listen to this, creation is not an old man walking in the dark room and saying, let there be, creation is a result of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in passionate embrace, dancing, delighting, rejoicing, loving and being loved, knowing and being known, enjoying and being enjoyed, rejoicing and being rejoiced. Is that amazing? It's amazing. The Greek church fathers had a word for this and it was called a perichoresis. We get the word choreography from it. It means literally to dance or the flow. So listen, deep dive. When God says, let us make man in our image, do you know what God is saying? He's saying, let's make these beings who will be able to experience what we're experiencing let's make these beings be able to enter into this holy dance where they can love and be loved know and be known delight and be delighted enjoy and be enjoyed is this good news to anybody do you know how much God loves you do you know why God created you and me some of us are like, why did he? The Bible says he doesn't need us. You're right, Acts 17. God doesn't need anything. He's not served by human hands if he needed anything. But he gives life and breath. Listen to this. God created you and me not because he needed us, including our love. God created you and me simply so that you and I could experience the divine dance. And saying, I want you to know what it's like to love and be loved. To delight and be delighted. Is that amazing? Is this too much? Is this too much? Is the kind of stunned silence one of like, are you serious? See, what does the trying God tell us about Christian life? I'll tell you what. Is Some of us grew up in a Christian. Our view of Christian life is, I got to obey the rules, pull myself up by the bootstraps. If I do good, God blesses me. If I don't, God punishes me. I hope you were created for his arms, the divine dance, to know and to be known, to love and be loved, to delight in God. Is that good news? Do you know what the triangle God also tells us about love? Do you know why our culture flounders in experiencing love? Because we fundamentally misunderstand the nature of love. The ultimate expression of love is not getting love, it's giving love. Do you know what the height of pleasure is? It's not getting pleasure. It's what? It's giving You see why our lives are so empty? If fundamental love and ultimate expression of love is when you give it, when you give it, when you give it. And you and I live in a culture that says, take it, take it, take it. God says, you want to know what ultimate expression of love is? It's when you give love, when you give joy, when you give delight. If you're living as if life was just all about you, at the end of the day, you will be left with just that, just you. You and I are created for this divine dance, to love and be loved, to delight. In I, I, I don't even know what to do with that. Somebody say something. I don't even know what to do with that. Is this good news? Yeah, I need, you, I need you to go home and just sit on this for a while, okay? I just need you to go home and sit on this for a while and sit on the fact that God creates us in his nature, which means we are created to be in community, authentic, vulnerable. It's not just a thing. We, it is fundamental to understanding reality. Actually, the author of Genesis pushes even further to how fundamental this is in Genesis 2:18. The Lord said, "It is not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper." suitable for him do you realize that up to now everything god's made he declares good word is benediction good good and all of a sudden stop genesis two eighteen. god says something is not good listen this is paradise this is perfection this is everything the way god wants and all of a sudden god says there is something that is not good what is not good adam is what alone. Listen, Adam has everything that you and I long for in this world. He has pleasure. He has joy. He has the best food. He has the best music. He walks with God. He knows God like you and I could just dream of. His prayer life is incredible. And yet and yet God says, him being alone is not good. This truth, you might just find yourself going, that doesn't even sound right, so I'm gonna say it twice. On purpose, on purpose, God created you in such a way that without community, you will not experience life. Let me say that again. On purpose, God created you and me so that without community, all the things, this is not a mistake, all the things that God wants to give us could only come through what? Community. Paradise is in paradise without community. Implications. Implications. First, to need and want friendship and community is not a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's a sign of spiritual What? I think this is more sort of subconscious. I don't think it's like conscious. Can I tell you, I grew up in a church culture where my heroes of faith, spiritually mature people, were people that I looked at and go, they don't need anybody. Anybody else come from that culture? It was like as if they were immune to stuff, right? And so the people that I sort of respected the most were those people who's like, literally, it's like, I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own. So for years, I modeled that. I emulated that. It's like, that's what it means to be mature, is that you are so mature that you don't need anybody. The problem is God doesn't think that. To want and need community is not sign of spiritual immaturity. It is the height of spiritual maturity. That's why, listen, please, please listen. When we flippantly say stuff like, all you need is God, listen, we all need to hear that again and again because we are prone to idolatry and lifting other things besides God. We we have, you and I wake up in the morning wanting to replace God with something else and we need, all you need is God. Having said that, When someone is struggling with depression, when someone is mourning and grieving the death of a loved one, when someone is struggling so deeply, they don't just need to hear, all you need is God. They need to hear and know, I am here with you. When is the last time somebody said, did something for you that gave you life"? Are you spiritually mature? Because you're saying, I need people. Or are you spiritually immature? Because you're walking around going, I am so strong in Jesus, I don't need anybody. Second, implication and this to me is, 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 is pretty hard, and, and, and I need you to sit with this for a bit, is that relationships are good in and of themselves. Has anybody here, has anybody here experienced the feeling or the, yeah, the feeling or experience of somebody kind of cozies up to you and they want to kind of get to know you, and you're like, I'd be over friends, and then you realize you were being networked? <laughs> Clap if you know what I'm talking about. Because we live in a transactional relationship culture. Relationships are not good in and of themselves. Relationships in our culture are a means to an end. Listen, listen, listen. I was just going to say young professionals, but this is everybody. If your circle of friends are only made up of people who are just like you, you are probably using them. Listen. In our culture, you and I don't even think about the fact that people we wanna get to know is how do we get up in my career? How do we get closer to that social circle? How do we, we are bombarded with this message and we constantly are looking for relationships that can just get us in. And God says, I created relationships so they're good in and of themselves. Listen to me, when you use people for yourself, you don't just dehumanize them, you dehumanize you. You become less human. The other thing though as I thought about this is, you and I live in a culture where people tell us, hey man, put relationships on the back burner. That's why, that's why you hear this message, hey, 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 hey. It doesn't matter what kind of community you've got in Chicago, don't you wanna move up? So move, Seattle, New York, blah, blah, blah. And we don't even think twice about the fact that I'm just gonna move, because that's my next step in career. Hey, hey, don't you wanna be successful? Then you yeah, have put X amount of hours, but if I do, I can't be with my family or friends. It doesn't matter, don't you wanna be successful? So we believe this and just go, yeah, I'm gonna work X amount of hours, but what about your family? Nah, what about your friends? Nah. Hey, I'm just going to pick up and move, but do you have, you have, listen, listen, do you know one of the, do you know one of the things that grieves me the most is when people move from new community to another city because of jobs, okay, And and by the way, I know that some of you are moving to another city because of jobs, so I'm not picking on you, please hear me, I'm not picking on you, okay, I'm not picking on you. Do you know what grieves me is when they move and two, three years later, I get a phone call and they say, Pastor Peter, I have still yet to find a church. And then comes the thing that makes me want to weep. They go. I thought I could find what I had a new community anywhere. Do you know how radical this is, what scripture says? This is so radical. Listen, you're going to go where God calls you. This is so radical. Scripture saying, What if your priority was this community and your second priority was your job? (laughs) That's ridiculous. I know you think that. I know, I know. What if this community was your priority and working less hours and maybe not moving up the corporate ladder was a priority? How much more Powerfully, can the Bible say without community, your career doesn't matter? Without community, success doesn't matter. None of that matters. None of that matters. This is why I am saying to you again and again that the real measure of our lives is not the things we obtain. Whoever dies with the most toys actually doesn't win. It's not what we acquire, it's not what we achieve, but lives we have touched, people we have loved, people who've loved us. And the relationships we've invested in. And the people you invest in today are the people who are going to invest in you tomorrow. If you live today as if you don't need anybody, I'm telling you, you get to prove that later. Why are you in such a hurry? I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Slow down if you have to. Why? Because it's not about who travels the fastest. It's about who has the most people walking with them in their journey. Adam has everything, pleasure, power, money, and he's still unhappy. Why? None of that matters without community. Third, real quick implication, you can't grow into the image of God who's community without community. If I asked you, do you want to be like Jesus, you would say what? If I say, do you want more courage, you would say what? If I ask you, uh, this is a participatory event, okay? <laughs> if I say, do you want more wisdom, you would say what? Yes. If I say you want more joy, you would say what? Yes. If I say you want to be more loving, you would say what? Yes. If I say you want to be growing all that God has sent you to be, you say what? Yes, say yes, 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 yes. And the Bible says if you want to be more like Jesus, then you got to live and practice what I said. And one of the things he said is this, Hebrews three thirteen, Encourage By the way, I love the fact that the word courage is literally to instill courage in someone. If you're sitting there going, how do we become more courageous? Hebrews 3.13 tells us, but you're not gonna like it. Because it says one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sinfulness. If you come to New Community at any point, you've heard me refer to this passage over and over again. I'm going to say this one time. Remember, the whole point of this is not no more Bible knowledge. It's actually, are you what practicing? So my question is, I've said this passage a number of times. I'm going. Are you living it? Are you living it? Are you living Hebrews three thirteen? There's two premises in this verse. The first premise is you have to have people who see you so often, that's why daily or regularly, and interestingly, Acts 2, people met daily. You have to have some people in your life who see the real you. How many people see the real you? How many people just catch you just being you? See, if you hang around me long enough, you realize that I'm actually a lot quieter than I I look on Sundays. When you hang around me long enough, you also realize that I have anger issues. You also realize that I'm impatient. You also realize that I have lots of areas of growth. The only way that people get to see that in me is not if they see me for an hour and a half on Sunday, but if they see me what? Regularly. Do you have people in your life for whom you don't have to do image management? Do you have people in your life who you don't control what they see about you? So they're not your fake book friends. They're not your text friends. They're not your email friends. Do you have people who you don't have? Don't you, oh man, come on, guys. Don't you just, just want to be around people where you don't have to pretend? Don't you, aren't you tired? You know what pretending is like? It's like going on blind dates every single day for the rest of your life. It's like putting on your Sunday best for somebody that you don't even care about. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Church family, be really clear about whose opinions matter to you. And the people on that list shouldn't be people who love you despite your weaknesses, but because of them. You need people in your life who see you just being you and saying, I love you. The second premise is not just people who see you, but the second premise is, and this is the harder part, you have to have those same people speak truth into your life. Everybody say truth. Listen, listen, I know our culture I know that we live in America where people are like, you don't tell me what to do. Listen, there's no way for you and I to grow without having people in our lives speak truth and love to us. There's... Once in a while, I listen to recordings of my sermons, not because I like listening to myself, but somebody says, you know when you said that? So I go back. And when I listen to myself on recordings, I cover my ears and I squint. You know why? Because I think to myself, there's no way I sound like that. <laughs> I know I sound more manly than that. <laughs> I'm just being vulnerable, okay? I'm just letting that out go. I'm like, I sound, why do I sound like this? I'm like, I don't sound like that. I don't, so, I don't sound like that. I don't, I don't sound like that. Do you know why though? You and I can't hear ourselves just like we can't see ourselves. You don't know what you look like. I don't know what I look like and what I need is somebody to tell me, Peter, this is what you look like. There's no other way for me to grow, you guys. I need people who will say, I will speak truth to you. That is, I will be honest with you no matter what. But I also have people who says, I will speak grace to you, which is I will love you no matter what. We need people who will do what God does to us. And what God does to us is say, I accept you as you are. I love you as you are, but I will not leave you as you are. I love you too much to do that. Do you have anybody? Do you have a single soul that you've given permission to to say, when you see me indulging in besetting sins, when you see me doing things I shouldn't, I give you full permission to call me out. Do you have people who say, I love you too much, Peter, to leave you where you are? Can you think of anybody as you sit here right now? One, two, three people who are saying, I've given them permission. And because I know that they love me. And by the way, can I just say this for those of us that like, I love speaking truth to people. Listen, 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 listen. I realize that minds are often not open to truth until hearts have been opened via compassion. Can I say that again? Where's my CC? I'm gonna say that again. Listen, minds to truth are often not opened until their hearts have been touched by your compassion. So before you speak truth, they need to know, he loves me, he loves me. Do you have people like that now, here's the thing there's not a single person i don't think maybe except for two people who sit here going there's not a single one of us who are saying, peter i want that like i want to grow i want to grow i don't want to just, i want to grow but man hebrews three thirteen is hard to do anybody anybody do you know why it's so hard to do because this is what happened when sin came into the world they take of the forbidden fruit and listen to what happens, and this is why community and transparency is so hard. Genesis 3, 7, we pick up the story. After they take the fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They become aware, the Bible says, of their nakedness, and they start feeling things like they've never felt before, like fear. How many of us are afraid? Well, let me put it differently. How many of us have made dumb mistakes because of fear? Do you know how many of us have made dumb mistakes because we're deeply afraid of what other people think? All of us. Do you know how many of us have made mistakes because of fear of missing out? All of us. Okay, so let's just get that squared away. We are all deeply afraid. No, no, listen, listen. I'm not, we are all deeply afraid. And here's the thing. Some of you are very aware of your fears. Some of you, though, are so good at avoiding things that you fear that you don't think you're afraid. But you know what fear looks like for you? Anger. Worry. Frustration. Anxiety. Depression. The other is what? Not just fear, but it's shame. Shame is an intense feeling of I am unworthy of love and belonging. I am unworthy of love and belonging because I'm imperfect, I am flawed. I'm Asian, Korean to be specific. And because I come from shame culture, I come from a culture where perfectionism is also rampant. Do you know that wherever you find shame, perfectionism is riding shotgun? Do you know why? Because the way that some of us that struggle with shame, we try and cover that up is the feeling of unworthiness. Here's I'm gonna cover that up. I'm gonna be perfect. I'm gonna do everything to best my ability. Fear, shame. Does anybody know what those things are like? Say yes if you do. Does anybody know what those things are like? Yes, you do. So you know what we do? We do what Adam and Eve did. What do they do? They sowed what? Fig leaves. Text says The text says they sow fig leaves to cover themselves. Or to use Brené Brown's words, they armor up. To cover their sense of nakedness. Deep sense of, I'm not okay, I'm flawed, something's wrong with me. They reach for fig leaf armor and they hide. And from this point on, here's what every single one of us in this room has believed, whether you're a Christian or not, and that is this I could either be fully known or I could either be fully loved, but I'll never find both in this world. So I could pretend to be someone that you want me to be so you could love me or I could be real with you and be rejected but I can't have both. So all of us in this room are either pretending or because we fear rejection we'll never get close. I can't let you see who I really am. This is the first thing that happens as a result of sin. This is incredible to me. It's not murder. It's not injustice. It's what? It's hiding. I don't want you to see the real me because then you might judge me. You might use it against me. You won't want to be around me. Fake leave is what we use to armor up. So we try and do this community thing. And the first thing you do is, No. No. You could see this part of me. You could see this, but no, no. This is the reason why we were blown away last Sunday when we saw the early church, because one of the characteristic attributes of the early church was what? They had no fake leaves. They had no fake leaves. Acts 2, do you remember? Verse 46, they broke the bread in their homes and ate together with glad and what? Sincere hearts. The word sincere literally means transparent, real, free of deceit, hypocrisy. And where there are sincere hearts in a church, there's gladness. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when someone knows the embarrassing, humiliating truth about me and still loves me, I come alive. This is why when some of you guys come up after church and go, I really love you, Pastor Peter. No no offense. But I sit there and go, you don't even know me. Thank you, though. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Give me a hug. Come on in. Give me a hug. But you know, do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know, not just because I'm married to you. Do you know that my wife, who knows the ugly truth about me, says you are the finest person I know. It makes me want to weep. Because when someone who knows everything about you, loves you, it's like a doctor who touches a part of your brokenness. Come on. Come on. We're preaching now. Come on. See, I don't know you, friend, but I know this about you. You want to be loved. Don't try and pretend I don't need love. Give me a break. You want to be loved, but you could only be fully loved to the extent that you are what? Fully known. This is why here's the second one another commands of Jesus. That's just like, ah! James 5, again, another passage. You've heard me say this before. Are you doing it? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You know what I heard this past week? Suffering is inevitable, but suffering alone is intolerable. Let me say that again struggling you could say is inevitable but struggling alone is what it's intolerable sin and isolation not just makes us sick in our soul sin and isolation makes us sick in our bodies this is why if you're sitting here today and struggling with some sin there's a loud deafening voice that's saying don't tell anybody the worst thing you can do is tell somebody that voice is from the pit of hell that voice is from the pit of hell. There is an enemy who has you believing. You have to keep this to yourself because if you don't, they will reject you. And as long as you believe that lie, friend, you'll never be healed. You'll never be healed. That's why James says, Confess your sins and pray for. It's not just God supernaturally healing us. There is healing in confession to an intimate community of people who've said, I'm letting my fake armor down. Yeah. Are hey. you just as I am? That's right. I love that hymn because it speaks of our ability to come to Jesus just as we are. But what if we became a just as I am church? What if new community became just as I am church, where people could come with their mess, their issues, their sins, and their brokenness and know that there's a community of people who says, I love you as you are, I accept you as you are, but I will not leave you as you are because I love you too much. Church, can that be us? Can that be us? Can we be a Hebrews 3.13, James 5.16, church? If we did, I'll tell you, we wouldn't have enough room in this place to contain everybody that wants to be here. He's saying, That sounds good, Peter, but I'm still afraid of getting hurt. Kevin, come on up. I could relate. I could relate of the fear of getting hurt. Here's the dilemma every single one of us is, and we need to be known to the bottom and be loved like the triune God, to be known to the bottom, to be known to the bottom and be loved like triune God, knowing that that is life. But fear makes this whole vulnerability thing hard, which makes the whole putting myself out there thing hard. But true community is impossible unless we're willing to put ourselves out there and risk getting hurt, risk being rejected, risk letting down. I in no way want to say, just do it. This is so hard for me. Do you know how private I am? Do you know how private I am? Do you know? Some of you guys know. You're like, you've been a pastor for 17 years. I hardly know you. I know that's how private I am. I am the epitome of armor up. But I also know that I will never be deeply loved until you get to know all of me. Which means vulnerability is required. What is vulnerability? Vulnerability. Brené Brown says it's uncertainty, it's risk, it's emotional exposure, but, 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 it's also the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. Who here doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to experience true belonging? Who doesn't want joy, courage, empathy, and creativity? We all do! So what do we do with the fear, Peter? John says there is no fear in love because perfect fear is the only thing that could drive out fear. And you go, where do I find that? Because it says in Genesis 3 that God took the skin of an animal And he made coverings for Adam and Eve. And all the Old Testament scholars would tell you that an animal had to be sacrificed to provide skin to cover Adam and Eve in their nakedness. And the scholars would tell you that the animal that is sacrificed to provide skin for Adam and Eve pointed to the ultimate sacrifice to the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed to cover your shame, to cover your nakedness. The Bible says that God wants more than thick leaves for you. He wants to clothe you in his robe of righteousness. you know the bible says that jesus was crucified naked he was stripped naked of his clothes why why go to the humiliation to cover you to cover you and me to make us holy and acceptable before god The only way that we can know that we can approach God just as I am and know that we'll be accepted and loved is to know in our heart of hearts that the Son of God paid with his life so that God could love us as we are, accept us as we are, and not leave us as we are. Is that good news? So you could let those burdens down of trying to be perfect because God says you're already perfect in my sight. The only way that you and I will be able to move out in community is if we know in our heart of our hearts I have perfect love upon me. What shall I be afraid? And see, let me just finish with this. To me, it's not just about being vulnerable. To me, it's this reality what the watching world, please just look up here just for a minute, what the watching world needs to know and hear is not that when you become a Christian, everything will go perfect, we never fight, we never argue things are perfect. No, we fight, we argue, we disagree, we offend and we hide. But the truth of the gospel is that when we offend, when we hurt, We can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can reconcile because we've been reconciled. We don't have to hide because God the Father calls out to us. You don't have to hide anymore. Is that good news? Is that good news? The world needs to see a group of people being real and being real means I'm not perfect neither are you and when we mess up we don't cut each other off. When we mess up we don't just say I am abandoning you but we come back, pick ourselves up and we. Try again because we have a God who says, I will never leave you nor abandon you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another because that is the only way that the world will know you are mine.